G'day everyone, welcome back to The Extras, I'm Jack. I'm Peter. And we are glad to be with you for a bit of a special kind of school holidays episode of The Extras. We don't normally uh, do The Extras in the holidays and I meant to say at the end of last week actually that we were going to take a break, but I'm glad I didn't because, you know, here we are, we're back into it. Because we had just so many questions come in on last Sunday, we felt we couldn't let the opportunity pass us by not to get into it and have a chat and be discussing some of these things for you. Um, Peter, as we get into it, can you help us help us catch up with where we've been? So last Sunday, what we're looking at in church, in the Bible, and there was sort of a bit of an extra spicy, extra thing going on as well, yeah? Yeah, what yeah, yeah, a little bonus edition. <laughs> the, uh, we've been obviously working our way through the book of Jonah. We followed that story and followed it through all the way to the end and had a lot to think about, about who God is and, and really how we come to terms with who God is and who God is in his mercy towards sinners. And then we picked up last week on Jonah's brief little kind of extra cameo that he makes in the New Testament when Mm. Jesus talks about the sign of Jonah in this sort of slightly mysterious way. He says that uh, no sign will be given to his generation except for the sign of Jonah. So we got Mm. into unpacking what that meant. But we did that quite briefly because we also had Raj sharing with us a bit of a Vision Month follow-up, circling back around to some of the things we talked about in Vision Month and also giving us a look uh, under the hood of why we are organizing ourselves the way we are as a church to get about God's mission. Yeah, and it was a really helpful time, I think, for many. I've had lots of chats with people after Sunday who found that insight into what church is structured like and where we're going. And we had stacks of questions get texted in about that, which is wonderful. We're really excited that people are engaging with that and keen to dig into it and understand it more. There's way more questions than we could deal with on the extras, and we also thought it'd be really helpful to have, have Raj and some others speaking to this so what we're going to do is, in our extras episode today, we are going to tackle some of the, the Matthew slash Jonah questions that came in, but your questions about that under the hood stuff, we are saving them up and we're going to be uh, tackling them in a, a, a sort of an, even an extras to the extras kind of way. We're going to be taking some time in the next couple of weeks to try and answer those questions in a bit more depth, because we think they're important. We want to help you to keep engaging with this. So we're going to have a, a little link in the description to this podcast to a video that you can find as sort of a teaser trailer of that, and then over the weeks ahead we'll be finding some opportunities to keep speaking to all of that, because we think those questions are really important, and we can't do them justice. So all that said, we are going to get into the Matthew and Jonah stuff today. Um, I will also say, we had a lot of people texting in just, happy one year anniversary to Raj. Hooray! Right? Happy anniversary, Raj. So, Raj, we know you're a keen listener to the extras, so if you're out there, uh, happy belated one year. Lots of people wishing that to you as well. Uh, we love you and your oversight over us. Uh, thank you, we're thankful to God for you. Uh, Peter, another question that is a bit more of a functional thing, but I thought it'd be good to speak to in this context. Someone texted in, I guess a bit of a double header. Firstly, are we going back to one pastor doing a full sermon series? And also, can we go back to live Q&A at the end of the sermon? I really miss it. Someone texted in. Peter, as our magnification pastor, one of the things you're overseeing is what's happening in our Sunday meetings, that kind of thing. Yeah, I wonder if you could speak to some of those questions about what's happening on Sundays in the future. Yeah, definitely. I mean, in terms of one pastor doing a full sermon series, uh, Jack, you preached every sermon in Jonah, and so did I, but we did it in different places because we are a church that meets on two different sites, Mm. and we are making this transition to being a team of pastors, all pastoring an entire church rather than having one congregational pastor per congregation. And so it's right, I think, for us to get about a little bit, to kind of share the pastors around, for congregations to see and learn from the teaching of different pastors. So that's the plan Mm. moving forward. In terms of the question time, they're so valuable and we love having them. And so they will continue to be a feature of our time uh, in uh, our church gatherings. 
But there are lots of things that are really valuable that we really benefit from. Singing, praising God, praying together, hearing about different kinds of ministry opportunities and being encouraged, hearing testimonies. There's so much we want to do. There's so little time. So we're going to keep on doing Q&As, but they may be uh, more of a sometimes food than they have been. (laughs) Part of a healthy, balanced diet of all the ways we're seeking to hear the Word of God and respond to it. That's right. But the extras is for life, Jack. Every that's right. week, that's, the extras. That's bread and butter. That's, you know, that's your <laughs> four-week fix every morning. Well, ten-week fix, really. You know, we really get into the, the, the deep stuff here. Yeah. Um, on the preaching thing, so next term, just to see how it works out in, in practice. So next term, we're getting into Romans 12 to 16, capping off our... Roman series that's been going on for years at St. Paul's, and uh, Sam and Rod are going to be the two preachers who will be taking us through that. So every Sunday, uh, you know, they'll be preaching the whole term, but they'll be in different places. So you'll hear either Sam or Rod over the course of the term, and great to have kind of two voices speaking into it. We're really looking forward to that. All right, Matthew 12, sign of Jonah. First question, someone texted in. So were the people of Nineveh saved? Question mark. Jesus says they'll, you know, rise up with a judgment. What do we make of that? Yeah, it is a good question. Uh, we might take, well, they're going to rise uh, so to think, okay, well, they're going to be saved. They're going to heaven. That's why they're rising. The Bible's picture is, in fact, that everyone will rise at the judgment day. It's what's mm. called the general resurrection. And so that's why we can expect uh, all people, and including these pagans, these Ninevites, to rise at the judgment, and they will encounter uh, the Queen of Sheba there, and yeah. uh, this generation, Jesus says, it'll all be alive together. So we, we oughtn't necessarily to take that uh, language about rising to mean that these people will be saved, mm. I think. Yeah, helpful. And I think also, I mean, in the context here, it seems like the fate of the Ninevites, I don't think, is the focus of what Jesus is saying in this little bit. He's using them as a, a bit of a foil to kind of cast his condemnation on the generation of his contemporaries who are alive at that day. Like, the point is, the men of Nineveh will be there pointing the finger at, you know, you Pharisees and all you people alive today because the Ninevites, they, you know, they had almost nothing to go on. Like, they'd never heard of this God and then they get Jonah who didn't even want to be there and yet they still will turn to God. How much worse for you if you don't? So I think it's not telling you so much about what's going to happen to the Ninevites. It's telling you what's going to happen to these Pharisees and their generation if they refuse to come to Jesus when he's standing right in front of them. It's an extremely unflattering comparison oh, for yeah. these, these proud Israelites the pagan Ninevites will be condemning them. At That's the right, yeah. Real, real serious accusation there. All right, we'll keep coming on. All right, someone's texted in. So Jesus has this thing, you know, sign of Jonah, uh, as Jonah's three days, three nights in the fish, so Jesus will be in the earth. So someone's texted in. It's a bit of a long one. I'll, I'll try and summarize it as we go. Um, so was Jesus only dead for two days? How would anyone know if he was truly dead? Isn't the point of him being dead three whole days and three whole nights to prove to all that he really was dead? And how do we even know that he died on a Friday at all? Wasn't it after the Passover, which was traditionally on a Tuesday? Also, Jesus never said to celebrate his death and resurrection on one day. We should do it every day, surely. And this whole Easter thing, this celebration of fertility and eggs and rabbits, isn't that this cursed, hijacked celebration that we bring to the death and resurrection of Jesus? So lots in there. I mean, maybe to start with two, three days. Yeah, what's going on with that Passover? How do we make sense of those dates? It's something we we touched on, didn't we, a few times. And so uh, we mentioned a few weeks back ago on the extras that Jesus, according to what the Gospels say, is not uh, literally three days and three nights in the tomb. He's in the tomb uh, on uh, parts of three days and for two full nights. 
Um, but uh, Jack, as you helpfully pointed out in your sermon, you know, this is uh, just a common kind of Jewish way of speaking about time, you know, a day and a night, any part of a day will do, that's a good way to talk about it. Mm. Um, so it's kind of a, it's more figurative language, um, but it holds true. Uh, Jesus goes into the, uh, goes into the tomb uh, before the Passover, and that actually, that's quite important in, uh, sorry, sorry, before the Sabbath. That's yeah. quite important yeah, yeah. in the gospel story. We, you know, we better get this guy down off the cross because we can't have him hanging there on the Sabbath day. Mm-hmm. So he goes in on a Friday because Sabbath is Saturday, yeah. and then it's the first day of the week uh, where they go and find the empty tomb. That is the Sunday morning. So Friday night to Sunday morning, uh, three days uh, or parts of three days and two full nights. Yeah. As for Passover, so Passover in the Jewish calendar, they worked on a, a lunar calendar, so the date of Passover changed with the cycles of the moon. Uh, so not always on a Tuesday, on the particular year that Jesus died, Passover had to be on a Thursday because Jesus died on the Friday, the day after, yeah. Yeah, hope that helps a little on the dates. I mean, the Alphabet's question, Easter and rabbits and what's going on with that? Yeah, are we allowed to hijack a pagan festival to celebrate Jesus' resurrection? Well, I think it's certainly true that we celebrate Jesus' resurrection every day. Mm. You know, it's, it's right that we praise the risen Lord and, and keep him before our minds always. But that doesn't mean that it's wrong to take a day especially to do that. And I, mm. think, it's a, I think it's a wonderful thing that our calendar and you know, even still our secular Australian calendar... Yeah, whole society's timetable reflects that this weekend is a big, big deal. Mm. Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and Monday as well. We take this time to pause. And that's right for us as Christians because the cross and the resurrection are so central to our faith, central to our lives. It's right for us to take special time to stop, to really stop and to mark them together, which is why I hope you join us over the Easter weekend. Come to church on Thursday night. Come to church on Friday. Come to church on Sunday. Get the good news of the resurrection into your hearts. Mm. So definitely come and do it. Yeah. I mean, it, yeah, very helpful. I mean, as for that, I think there's every night, like I think every year I'll hear someone on Facebook or see some article come up saying, oh, like, why do you even call it Easter? Like that was just this, you know, Celtic pagan fertility God thing that, you know, has been taken over. And I think it's worth saying, I mean, like we can acknowledge that. Yes. Like, you know, for thousands of years, like human beings have celebrated this kind of, you know, in the, Northern Hemisphere, this is like springtime and it's kind of the spring, like, you know, new life festival sort of season. And so when early generations of Christians were thinking about, yeah, how do we, or, you know, I wasn't there, so I don't know exactly the conversation that happened, but um, here's a time where the whole culture is already kind of marking this significant thing. Also, this is the time where, you know, we remember Jesus' resurrection because that's when the Passover happened. And to kind of take that sort of celebratory time and mood and use that to point people to Jesus like I don't think we need to be ashamed of that like don't deny it like yes it does have those roots but I don't think you need to feel like oh just because it's called Easter and that's not a Christian thing I don't think we need to be ashamed of that yeah or worried that our worship of God is somehow tainted by being you know as it were kind of parked on top of Mm. uh, a, a pagan festival because we're not celebrating fertility um or simply the spring uh, we're celebrating the new life that comes with the resurrection of Jesus. We do it as we read the scriptures to hear about him, as we sing and pray to him and focus our hearts and minds on him. So that's uh, pure worship in the Holy Spirit led by the word of God. Well said. Thank you. All right, we'll keep going. Someone's asked the question, did Jesus go to heaven when he died? 
Yeah, well, it is a, it's a good question. And maybe it's worth pointing out that perhaps our language of going to heaven, if we scout around in the Bible, we actually won't find that phrase mm. very much. And, and possibly what we mean when we say it might not be quite what the Bible means. Uh, we might think about a place that we go to when we die and maybe we have some kind of combination of clouds and halos and pearly gates and wings and harps and that kind of thing. Yeah, shredding away on my six-string harp up there. It's going to be great. Yeah, or maybe well, not. Maybe not. <laughs> maybe not. I mean, the way that the Bible talks about it, we, talk, we touched on this in talking about the resurrection. The Bible talks about a resurrection age, the great defining event that breaks the world in two, history in two. Mm. There's this age, the present age, and then there's the age to come. And that age to come starts with the resurrection of the dead, when all are raised. The resurrection of Jesus is like a little foretaste, uh, a first fruits, mm. the teaser of the general resurrection. One man is raised before all human beings are raised. So uh, heaven is not so much the biblical picture of, of where this world is headed mm. to or, or even really the place that we go to when we die. Yeah. The destiny of all of us and the destiny of our world is this renewed creation and that breaks in at the resurrection of the dead and yeah. with Christ as he is the foretaste of that. Yeah, yeah. We get this picture, you know, Revelation 21, a new heavens and a new earth. And this picture of actually heaven coming down to earth is mm. the future that we're looking forward to, not just clouds and, and, and fluffy sky and everything, but yeah, God reigning with us on the world. That's, that's what we're looking forward to. So Jesus doesn't go to the new heavens and new earth because they're not here yet. Yeah, we're still met. living in the current mm. earth. Yeah, helpful. I mean, what can we say then about what happened to Jesus? So, you know, Jesus... Goes into the tomb, he's buried Friday night, comes out of the tomb Sunday morning. Like, do we assume his body was in the tomb that time? Uh, did something else happen to his soul? Like, what, yeah, what happened to Jesus during those 36 hours in the tomb? Yeah, well, when theologians talk about this stuff, they, they, their, their phrase for this kind of discussion is the intermediate state. Mm. So what is it that happens to human beings after death, but before the renewal of all things? And it's a matter of some... You know, controversy, really because the Bible is not very clear. Mm. Well, the Bible is perfectly clear, it just doesn't say a lot. The Bible's not very explicit about yeah. the intermediate state. The one kind of firm thing that we have to hang on is, is what Jesus says to the cross, uh, the thief who dies uh, on the cross mm. next to him, uh, today you'll be with me in paradise. Yeah. So what happens between death and the renewal of all things? It's like being with Jesus uh, and paradise is, is what he calls it, tantalizing, but hard to pin down what that means. Yeah, I mean, it sounds good, whatever it is, but details, good. We, don't, we don't have a lot more than that, yeah. I think you see something in that, like, there's, there's not a lot there, but there's something, isn't there? You see Jesus, I think his body remains in the ground because it's his physical body that was raised, like, that's really important, you know? He goes to the disciples and is like, you know, touch me, see that I have flesh, like, he's, his body didn't evaporate or anything, like, it comes back to life, but... In that time, he's clearly in a good place with the thief on the cross who's also died in that some sort of spiritual sense. Paradise. Sounds great. I feel like that's all I can say. <laughs> Perhaps the clearest thing we can say is that he was dead. Mm. That he was dead for three days. Uh, we confess in the creed. He descended to the dead. Yeah. And he was dead. Mm. And then, three days later, he was alive. He was no longer dead. Yeah. Yeah, hopeful. Hope that helps. All right. Someone's asked, will all non-Christians be punished in the same way on Judgment Day, regardless of how they lived on earth? I wonder if this is coming back to the men of Nineveh, you know, condemning this generation at the judgment. Does that imply they're sort of somehow worse off? Like, what does that mean for the sorts of 
punishment that people might experience when Jesus comes back. Yeah, I think this this again, uh, as with various things in the in the part of theology that's traditionally called eschatology, you know, the, the study of the last things, the study of the last things. Uh, there, we're, we're told a lot less than we might have questions about. We have all these questions, and in terms of um, explicit teaching in the Bible, there's relatively less to go on. Uh, mm. So you know, the Bible is really concerned about uh, what, we, what happens to us now that Jesus is King and that we put our trust in Him for salvation. And uh, well, what happens later on? God sort of takes care of that. Mm. Uh, there, so I think it's worth saying. You know, it's difficult to say with precision, and in a sense, judgment belongs to God. It's not for us to decide who will get what and reckon what kinds of punishments are appropriate for what kinds of people. I and mean, God, God will take care of that. Mm. There are some hints, though, in the Bible. Yeah, I mean, I think one of the things that this passage is showing you is that there's, there's, one, I mean, it's part of the language of Jesus. Like, there is this sort of degree of culpability, right? Like, he says other things elsewhere. Like, Jesus, one of the things he says a few times is, you know, woe to you, this generation, like, woe to Capernaum, woe to the cities around him. It'll be better for, like, Sodom and Gomorrah. It'll be better for Tyre and Sidon, like, these great sinful cities of the Old Testament. It'll be better for them than it will be for you, which is, I guess, a similar kind of point to what the men of Nineveh thing's going. Like, those people in the past, you have more info. Like, you've, you've seen Jesus face to face. It's gonna, you're going to be worse off on that day. So you do see this hint that there's kind of degrees of culpability. Like, will that come with degrees of punishment? Like, I don't really know. I don't know if we get a clear picture of that. Like, I think that would make some sense. Like, I think the thing we do here is that, like, the punishment that uh, sinners will experience at the hands of the wrath of God because of their sin will be awful and terrifying. I mean, Jesus used that language of, you know, there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth, and he says, you know, the the fires will not be quenched and the worm will not die. Like, he, he paints these pictures of judgment as this horrific thing. So regardless of whether there are degrees of horror in that, all of those degrees are terrible. And so the message there for us is to, to flee from sin and to flee to Jesus and to take refuge in him and hold fast to the cross because that's the only hope we have, to flee from the wrath to come. So, yeah. And it's certainly not the case that if there's any non-Christians we might think, oh, well, they'll be okay. Exactly. They need to know yeah. Jesus. Mm. Helpful. All right. Last question to... Hang on, I've missed one, haven't we? Question six here. All right. Um, someone's asked, does this text really say that God no longer does signs and wonders to confirm the gospel and his unchanging character? See Romans 15. I might pull that up in a minute. Uh, or is this a reference to unbelieving Israel slash Pharisees or unbelief in general? Well, I, I'm not sure that the text does quite say that uh, God no longer does signs and wonders. Um, but by the same token, uh, I'm not sure that we can find a kind of enduring promise from mm. God, you know, look look for these kinds of signs and wonders. What it does say is that uh, Jesus offers the sign of Nineveh, the sign which is his death and resurrection. Mm. And uh, the point that, um, that, that I made in the sermon that you also did Jack was there. This sign stands today. This is the sign for us. If we're wondering about Jesus, if we would like to know if there is a God and if Jesus is God's man, look to the sign of Jonah. Yeah. Jesus was dead and Jesus lives today. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's interesting. I mean, even in the other, like John's Gospel, for instance, makes quite a big deal out of signs. Like, Jesus does lots of signs in John's Gospel. And John even says at the end, like, you know, Jesus did lots of them and these ones are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah. And so it's interesting then that to the Pharisees, Jesus says no sign will be given except the sign of Jonah. In Mark, it's even stronger. It's just no sign will be given. And I think that that, I 
as I understand it, I think what's going on there is I think there's a question of audiences. Like when you have the Pharisees standing in front of Jesus as these hostile, like aggressive, they don't want to believe, like they don't think Jesus is the king. Like it's this massive challenge to his authority, like prove it on the spot right now. And to that, Jesus says no. Like he refuses to kind of bow to their demands on their terms. Whereas the signs that he does to demonstrate his authority to people who are willing to come and to believe in him, that seems to be a very different kind of thing. So I don't think... Matthew 12 is meant to be as explicit, like, you know, no, like, there's only one sign, but no other signs, because, like, clearly there are others, but in the face of an unbelieving generation, there's this denial of signs on your terms, except for just this one. I mean, the, the Apostle thing is interesting, so Romans 15, and this is kind of Paul getting towards the end of Romans, we'll come to this verse in a few weeks' time as we preach through it. He says, uh, verse 18 in chapter 15, I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God by what I have said and done, by the power of signs and wonders, through the power of the Spirit of God. So from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. And you see that Paul's saying part of his ministry was attested by signs and wonders. And like you see that in the book of Acts as well. Like that's one of the things I think is really strong in Acts. You see Peter kind of takes up the mantle as like the lead apostle and you see him perform signs. Like he heals the, um, the layman in the temple in the name of Jesus, like it's Jesus who does it. And then you see later on, Paul does a miracle, and you see like there's this ongoing work of the Spirit attesting to the authority of the apostles through signs and wonders. I'm not convinced that necessarily applies to us today, but I think there's something quite unique and apostolic about that. Like they're the ones who are appointed as Jesus's ones that carried on, and I don't think that this verse necessarily means that continues for us. Yeah, I don't think it says either way really, but I don't think we get a strong hint that there there are still going to be signs to point us to the authority that we do. Like I think. The signs have happened. They're there for us to go and view and be signified by. Yeah. Yeah. God, anything to add? God, well, God hasn't. God hasn't left us wanting mm. of evidence. Yeah. Uh, it's not. Uh, yeah, we're not wanting for signs. Uh, yeah. we, as you say, there's the signs we have recorded in the scriptures and the great sign, Jesus Himself. Yeah. Lots of signs. Well said. All right. Last one to wrap it up. Uh, this is someone coming back to something we said on the podcast last time. So. Uh, we had a bit of a discussion about forgiveness and reconciliation. So the question says, uh, right at the end, when you said forgiveness doesn't mean things will be the same, even like broken marriages, does this mean the relationship is altered in some way, where you never trust again? And if so, how does that relate to God's forgiveness towards us when we sin against Him? Past, present, future. I mean, if our sins don't affect our relationship with God, does it mean that we're called to forgive in the same way? As in, you know, you treat the person as you would treat them before? This person, it goes on, you know, that sounds hard, and how do we even do that? But yeah, I think that guts the question is there, yeah. How do we think about God's forgiveness and ours and the restoration of relationship? Well, I suppose I'll, you know, reiterate a couple of things that we did say in that discussion. Uh, One, this is really hard. Mm. uh, God's forgiveness is real, and it must have real consequences in our lives, uh, and it must mean that we forgive others. We stand ready to forgive. Uh, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. There has to be a tight connection between how God has forgiven us and how we forgive those who sin against us. Mm. But it's hard. Yeah. It's really hard. Mm. And uh, we said before, and it's worth saying again, it's really complicated. And it's not the kind of thing where you're going to find the answer on a podcast. Even one as excellent as this particular podcast. I mean, it's pretty good, yeah. Like, if it was going to be anywhere, it'd be here. But, yeah, not even here. Not even here. I mean, <laughs> these things are so complicated and so messy and every situation is unique. And so, you know, it's not right to try and prescribe some kind of rule about how we would always be or about how sin 
uh, might or might not affect a relationship in an ongoing way. Mm. Yeah, very helpful to say that. I mean, I think that's what I want to say as well. Like, I mean, the, the question asker said, you know, how, if, if our sins don't affect our relationship with God, you know, are we meant to treat people the same way? I think that's the assumption that's worth questioning. How does our ongoing sin as Christians impact our relationship with God? I think the way it doesn't impact it is that our, our justification, you know, our, our new status of being declared righteous with God because of the perfect righteousness of Christ, that's something that's permanent. That's that's not going to be impacted by our ongoing wrestle with the, the presence of sin. Uh, you are forgiven and you will always be forgiven. And your your relationship in that sense, that, that sort of um, declarative like status, that is uh, secure. Like that won't change. But I think sin does impact our ongoing experience of our relationship with God. You know, in, in Ephesians 4, it talks about, you know, uh, grieving the Holy Spirit, like our ongoing sin does uh, impact our capacity to please God and, you know, how, how he's pleased with us. Um, subjectively for us, like our ongoing experience of sin, like sin, sometimes we, you know, we're sort of, we want, we, we turn away from God and we, we we're, we're, our joy is sucked out of us and we, you know, we, we kind of shy back from God, like in all sorts of ways that does impact our relationship with him. So to say it doesn't, I think, flies in the face of, well, I think both Bible and experience. Like, ongoing sin does impact how we experience our relationship with God. So in that sense, it seems to me no surprise that it would impact our ongoing relationship, even with people who we might have forgiven. Yeah, I think, yeah, so important, isn't it, to, to say that when we sin, it doesn't uh, disrupt the, the, the basic state of our relationship with God. We're adopted and we are children and, and we have the, the down payment of the Spirit. God looks on us as as children whom He loves. Mm. Uh, I, you know, I suppose as it, with our own relationships with with parents, you know, you, you're always you know, always the son of my dad. But how things are between us, you know, can can uh, you know can be affected by the way we we they treat each other. Mm. Which is not to say that God will look on you differently if you sin, but your joy in salvation will be impacted. Yeah. By sin. Yeah. Helpful. No, that, that, that is a good way to look at it, I think. Yeah. Thank you for your questions. We've come to the end of them, uh, and we're coming to the end of our episode. As we said, we've said a few times, but Easter's coming this, this weekend. Uh, well, we were trying to work out before when this episode will be uploaded. By the time you hear this, it might be it's after Easter, in which case we hope and pray that you've had a, a wonderful time reflecting on the salvation that we have in Jesus and his death and resurrection. For if I still future, then come along to church, and we'll see you there. Either way, looking forward to catching up with you next time. Uh, we'll be back uh, next term with Sam and or Rod as we start wrestling through Romans 12 to 16 together. It'd be great for you to have a read through the book of Romans, get back into this wonderful, rich part of God's word. And we're going to keep working through it as a church as we seek to think God's thoughts after him. So until then, farewell. Thanks very much. See you.